to We Are Already Free. This is a podcast I've dreamed into being to support you on your path of self-discovery, sovereignty, and remembering that you are already free in a society that's bred us to believe that we are anything but powerful, that we are anything but sovereign. This podcast is your invitation to return to that simple truth that we are already free. Join inspiring, down-to-earth guests as they share vulnerable stories and favorite strategies on how they live lives of beauty, joy, connection, and meaning with the people they love. I'm your host, breathwork facilitator, empowering wordsmith, and intuitive guide, Nathan Maingard. It's an honor to be here with you today. If you don't really get that there's much issue at all with mainstream medicalized birth, or if you'd like to birth your children outside of the medical system, today's episode is for you. It's a confronting, challenging, and ultimately empowering look at medical birth and the alternative known as free birth. Emily Saldaya is a founder of the Free Birth Society, helping tens of thousands of women around the world to birth the way humans have done forever. They also train women in the Radical Birth Keeper School, run an amazing podcast, and a whole lot more. Emily's experience and harrowing stories from working in the mainstream birthing industry give her a deep understanding of how humans are being born into captivity through this mainstream birthing methods. May this podcast episode with Emily Saldaya educate, inspire, and empower your relationship with the miracle of birth. This podcast is brand new at the time of this recording, and any help that you can give to share it out to more people is really, really important at this point. The more that you can share, subscribe, and leave reviews, the more chance this has to be seen by tens, if not hundreds of thousands more people through the new and noteworthy parts of the Apple Podcasts, etc. So please take an action. If you take any action, obviously after listening to this, and if it resonates, please share it far and wide and let's help more people to remember that they are already free. I think now more than ever is such a time for us to support one another, to share this kind of information, to share that there are alternatives to the disempowering stories we have been indoctrinated with by our failing and failed society. So this is with love, with joy. I am so happy to be able to offer this episode to you. And please do stick around for the end where I have a few important things to share with you. But for now, please enjoy this uninterrupted episode with Emily Saldea of Free Birth Society. How is death a part of birth? Or how is death present at birth? Or how does one need to confront death to birth? Well, there's certainly no one answer, but death and birth are the, you know, intros and outros <laughs> of this time on earth, right? And so death is um is a part of birth in that quite literally women who are the life bearers, you know, are also the death bringers, meaning that if you think about it from the time there's a spark of conception, that spark will die. Right, it will die at some point, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's uh, in twelve weeks gestation, or whether it's twelve years old, and so on. Um, yeah, and so you know, my my old uh, midwife I used to apprentice under would say, uh, "We come to go," and 
you know, birth is the entry point and death is the exit point. And so you don't really have one without the other in, in the obvious sense that they, they literally by design inarguably go together. Um, sometimes I refer to myself as a portal dweller because mm. when you are drawn to birth, you're also, um, often find yourself, you know, in, in what I call death midwifery as well, holding space on, you know, the other end. And sometimes, um, and it's not actually that uncommon that death is a part of birth, meaning, uh, stillbirth, miscarriage, um, you know, chosen termination, um, obviously people spontaneously die at all stages of life, right? Mm. So of course, stillbirth is particularly tragic, um, but also really not, not rare. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, part of, you know, the work that I do, which is very specifically around birth work outside the medical system, outside the medical paradigm, there's a lot of contending with death because, well, I guess I'll say that when you birth in the system, you don't have to contend with death in the same way as the enormous social risk that comes with birthing at home, birthing without medical providers. Um, you know, I, I would have lots to, to say to win an argument about why that's actually safer um, and produces better outcomes. But women who free birth, which is birthing without medical providers, hired professionals, um, women who free birth, you know, kind of, kind of naturally then contend with the possibility of death but it's it's more so rooted because we're doing something so different it, from society's you know mainstream. Um, of course, the question we're constantly asked is, well, what if something happens? Um, yeah, and so free birthers, you know, I, I that I find tend to be enormously mature and you know taking on a layer of radical responsibility to contend with these concepts that when you just do whatever your doctor says. And just go in for your induction. No one's explaining, you know, the likely risks and side effects, um, you know, and then you have the C-section you never needed. And then, you know, you, you know, you hemorrhage and the baby goes to the NICU and the baby dies in the NICU. The, the framing of that is, thank God we were there and we were able to try everything, mm. right? Whereas I'm in a very different consciousness where I'm like, well, it's very likely they killed the baby, mm. um, you know, but but my <clears throat> my background is attending hundreds and hundreds of births within the system, and you know it's it's just so so painful. Um, but I I have seen babies be murdered uh, from pharmaceuticals, from you know mistreatment, neglect, all sorts of stuff. And then of course there is just the spontaneous natural death that can occur um, at any stage of life. And actually what, you know, the name of your podcast is interesting to start with birth because we are already free is a beautiful idea. And yet for the vast majority of humanity at this time, we're born into captivity. We are born not free, right? Mm -hmm. We are born into these, uh, deeply systemic, um, structures that, that keep us captive and, and, um, you know, uh, in, in a basically longstanding sequence of consumerism and outsourcing and all of this stuff. And so I imagine this podcast is, is a remembering of who we are outside of that. Um, but there's a lot of healing to do around the birth 
you know, of, of our own births and around, you know, the, the global planet in the way in which we birth because we're not born free. Like my daughter was born free, you know, but I'm a very tiny, tiny, tiny little, little percent of women who are birthing freely. Mm. Yeah, I so agree. I mean, that's one of the things I think about is like that term, we are already free. I think about it a lot. Of course, I think about these kind of things. I'm like, well, are we? And I think for me, it's like, it's like a mantra. It's like, why do I say a mantra? Because I'm because I'm reclaiming something. I'm remembering, as you say, I'm returning to responsibility for something that is an inalienable truth. And yet I acknowledge that within the current physical paradigm, yeah. I, and I just, and actually this sort of segues into something that my, I'm a home birth, my, the, the four, myself and my three siblings from my mother were all born at home. I'm the eldest. And so I feel deep gratitude for that. At that time, my parents living in a little village on the tip of South Africa where they got it from all sides, as, as you more than well know how it goes and, and the, what they had to go through just even to have a home birth with a midwife there, et cetera, but to, to navigate that. And I was speaking with my mom a bit earlier today. I was just having a, like I needed a mom moment. I don't know. I just like, was like, oh, I miss mom. And I, so I just called her up and was chatting that I would be chatting with you. And she she's thought of, she's shared a, a a line from the Bible. She she finds a lot a huge amount of um, wisdom and peace in the Bible. It's not something I've ever really read, but I she offers me these little nuggets. And she said this one, which I'll read to you, is from Exodus thirteen twelve. It says, "Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix." And I, when she read it to me, I was like, did they really use the word matrix in there? Like, is that a real thing? And she said, yes, let me go check. And she checked the meaning in, in Hebrew, the original, what's translated as the matrix also means womb. So that's, it's, mm -hmm. it's one meaning. And then if you go to the actual, like the old, what they call the primitive root in the Hebrew, it is to love, love deeply, have mercy, be compassionate, have tender affection, have compassion. And I just, hmm. I just thought that was a phenomenal meaning of the word matrix as a root where now we think, oh, get out of the matrix. But actually what we're in is a man-made prison and the, the actual matrix is the womb, is the, is the hmm. portal. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but <laughs> I thought I'd share that. Well, I'm just, I'm thinking about how in Kundalini Yoga, I was taught that matrix means Maya and Maya is the physical, you know, reality hmm. and Om you know, is, is, is God before physical manifestation and Maya is the physical manifestation. So that's kind of, that's different, but I did know that the, the origin of matrix in Hebrew was womb, hmm. which is so cool. It's yeah. so cool. But, wow. Has that been changed? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm curious to know about your own journey. Like what I've known of you and seen of you through your, and heard of you through your podcast and through your page and, and what you're offering in the world is, is you seem from my perspective to be someone who is sovereign and empowered and you are a leader and you are really taking profound action in a direction that, that you align with. And I'm wondering what was your life like before you reclaimed your sovereignty or before you claimed that part of yourself or, or have you always felt that way or how, how was that journey for you? Well, I mean, in my childhood, you can find every corner of me trying to like carve out my space and, and, you know, dig my heels in about, you know, who I am and, and make that be known. Um, 
you know, there's stories of in my, in my childhood, when I was, <laughs> when I was, wait, I, let me make sure I'm saying this right. 12. <laughs> I just really didn't like my family dynamic. My parents had split. Things were not great. And I sat my parents down. I was really into soccer and was playing on some big, you know, national teams. And uh, that was my first dream was to be a professional soccer player. And so I sat my parents down when I was 12. They were divorced and I got them together. And I said, look, we all know I'm too young to run away. That would be just not the move for success. Um, and so would you be willing to send me to boarding school far, far away from all of you where I can start on varsity, you know, at in ninth grade and um, I need to get out of here, you know? And thankfully my parents had the resources to say yes and the willingness. So I go to boarding school for two years. I wind up having this really horrific knee injury. Soccer's out of the Soccer's out of the picture now for me. I'm like relearning how to walk. I'm on crutches for a year. It was really a big deal. And uh, and so I came home. I tried that for a couple months in Florida where I'm from. And then the same thing happened again. Now, four years later, I sent my parent, sat my parents down and I say, look, I'm 16. We all know this isn't working. You know, side note, I was going to public school for the first time in my life. I had always been in private and I wasn't going and I was making straight A's. It was a joke. It was mm. such a joke. The whole thing was such a joke. Um, and I hated it. And I knew I was wasting my time. And so, yeah, I sat my parents down and I said, I'd like to withdraw from school and leave. And I had been working at this little bakery and I had $2,000 US saved, which felt like, what can't I do? <laughs> You know, what can't I do with $2,000 when you're 16? And now that's hilarious. But um, yeah. And so I told my parents, I'd like to withdraw from school. I'd love your support. I don't need it, but I'd love it. It would make getting an apartment easier. And I'd like to go to LA and start my life. And they were like, okay, yeah, that seems right. And so I did, you know, so I went not really knowing anything. I was freshly 16 years old. Um, anyway, so there's those stories, you know, in my, in my childhood that are very obvious that I, you know, came in to this life with a lot of fire and a lot of, um, just determination and clarity. And, um, you know, I would say throughout my twenties, I've always been in birth. I've always attended births. I started attending births when I was 17 and I'm 36 now. And so for, what is that? 19 years. And, um, you know, I don't know how much you want to go into the whole doula journey and the medical midwifery path, but it really took me too long, in my opinion, to figure out how bad, you know, the medical paradigm of birth was. Um, I was indoctrinated into doula life, which is all about being the savior, all about, you know, holding the woman's hand while she's raped with instruments, you know, and at least you're there and at least you're going to remember her story. Um, yeah, it was really quite dark and sick actually. And so I had a very successful doula business for over a decade in Los Angeles. And a lot of what I do now, which is not that, is, you know, attempting to, to bridge that gap for birth workers so that it doesn't take 10 plus years for them to figure out and connect the dots and get the language provided um, for not only how deeply unethical um, you know the monopoly of, of childbirth and obstetrics is, but also 
how we enable it in all of these different ways, you know, believing in reform fundamentally, mm-hmm. um, which I no longer do. So, yeah, I mean, you know, sovereignty, I don't think I even knew that word until I was probably 30. Now it's like trending and it's everywhere. But, um, you know, birth work is spiritual work. It's so, it's so intense. And there's so much that you have to learn how to hold because you're working with the most inner, inner fabric of a family dynamic. Um, it's really intense. And you, even in normal physiological births, you know, you're still, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you're still dealing with occasional stillbirths or, um, gosh, so much. I mean, family dynamics are so complicated, right? There's abusive dynamics, there's um, loss, you know, of family members while the woman's pregnant. There's so much that goes on within a family, you know, becoming a family and you are just like right up in that mix. So it's a lot. And then you times that by how many clients you have. It requires an enormous amount of maturity and spiritual growth and you know, it's inside out work. And so no one taught me that. Um, that's what we teach about now. But this was a pretty lonely journey for me in my 20s, trying to sort all of the layers of this workout. Hmm. And and for anyone listening now who's kind of new to everything we're talking about and who's kind of going, but I thought, you know, like home birth is cool. And but it's all mm-hmm. like, why does this sound so intense? And I'm curious, like, <laughs> how did you go? Because it is intense. I mean, if I think of, if someone of has to open the door to this one thing, it's like, what else has to collapse for that to become mm-hmm. in, in someone's right. awareness? And in your case, like you stayed in that industry, you said for about 10 years. And then how, so like using your journey as a way to kind of yeah. illustrate that shift, like what happened for you within that space and moving out of it? Yeah. You know, so for the vast majority of us, we're just kind of born into the mainstream. And then, you know, I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you know, like us, where at some point you start to question it and move outside of it and, you know, look at more radical, um, you know, which back to root, you know, ways of life and, and ways of thinking and, you know, altering your consciousness, you know, beyond the um, kind of mainstream. And so, you know, in my, in my, earlier years, I was just being asked to attend births and it was an obvious yes. It felt like a deep calling. You know, many midwives say that, that it's just kind of with you your whole life. And it found me really, really young and I didn't know any other way. And so, um, no one in my awareness globally, in my awareness was doing what I do now. Um, which obviously I'll explain in a little bit. So the path that was laid before me when you're interested in birth work in the early 2000s is you take a doula training, which essentially a doula is a non-medical woman who um, is kind of like a hired friend. She's going to know about birth. She's going to have some like comfort measures. But my critique of doulas is that really, you know, the profession is um, enabling an enormous, you know, industrial machine of abuse and torture of women and children. And so I started as a very proud doula, started going to birth. I didn't know any better. Um, You know, I didn't have language for anything I'm about to talk about. And, you know, I remember my fourth birth, which was um, horrific. And the mother, uh, was a family from Ethiopia, 
in a county hospital in LA and she, um, yeah, she was brutalized with uh, torture instruments. She had an episiotomy cut, you know, so very sharp scissors cutting her perineum down to her anus. Um, the baby was ripped out while she was being pumped full of drugs that she never consented to, dipping in and out of consciousness. When she would wake up into consciousness, she would be screaming. It was horrific. Um and her perineum never repaired. You know, she, she, as last I knew her, which obviously was a while ago, but um, she went on to have one more child and she never was able to experience sensation down there again. Um, anyway, so that was my fourth birth. And I remember taking that story to my mentors, which I use very loosely, just more experienced doulas. And I was completely gaslit. Um, by how, with how upset I was. And they were like, yeah, you know, this is, I'm sure the doctors did their best. And, you know, sometimes you got to see some hard stuff and, um, you know, you're there to help her reframe the birth because look, she has the healthy baby and she had a vaginal birth. So that was my, my exposure, you know, for, for many, many, many years, I didn't have anybody validate, um, how horrific the, the treatment of women and children, you know, was that I was um, not just witnessing, but being paid to witness, which is also pretty disgusting, you know. And I believed that I was helping because I would hold her hand, you know, when they would um, force instruments inside her and not explain why. And, and, you know, the doctors would, you know, let me know how much they needed me to keep her calm and you know, I just saw, you know, 10 years of birth in, the, in captivity, you're going to see some gnarly ass shit. And so I felt very purposeful in my doula work. I cared a lot. Um, and I had no language for the secondary trauma I was experiencing and for how completely unsustainable what I was doing was. Um, it was all pretty gross, actually. And when I would try to talk about something horrific that I saw so-and-so do um, or try to rally the doulas and be like, can't we all leave, leave Yelp reviews? Like, we've all seen him do this one thing. You know, can't we all talk about it? Like, surely there's something we can do. Mm -hmm. They would all be like, well, you don't want to get on the bad side of the doctor because then you won't be invited into the births and that could, you know, affect your income. And What's interesting about this is, you know, many doulas will probably acknowledge how horrific some hospital births are, but there's this implication in the birth world, in the mainstream birth world, that home births with a licensed, you know, medical midwife is like as good as it gets. Like that's the, that's the, that's the best thing you can get hired to go see and to go support. And so I did a lot of that. I was the apprentice to the busiest CNM in Los Angeles. And so I went to tons and tons and tons of medicalized births at home. And, you know, in some ways it's even worse because women are hiring women, uh, believing that they're going to keep them out of the hospital system, believing that scraping together $6,000 and paying this woman to come to their home is going to um, have them prevent an unnecessary surgery or transfer or induction or what have you. And it's not the case at all, right? And so there's medical midwifery is incredibly 
unethical and lacks transparency. And no one's really acknowledging, especially medical midwives, that they are agents of the state by way of their license. And so, yeah, I kind of forget what your original question was, but the the tracking of my 20s was going to birth after birth after birth. I'm talking five to 10 a month, like a lot of births in different roles, sometimes the assistant to a medical midwife at home, sometimes as a doula in all settings, including scheduled C-sections, accidental side of the road, births where no one was there, you know, all, like every setting, right, that that you could really conceive of. I've, I've probably been there for. Um, and, and, and my spirit was not okay. I was not okay. I was coming home after births and, you know, needing a glass of wine or smoking a spliff and just like crying in my partner's lap, you know, and just felt this overwhelming, um, sense of dread. Mm. And I didn't know what to do about it. And I think a lot of doulas are there, are in that place where you are making money, you are doing your best, you are seeing unimaginable brutality and violence. And for context, because again, you know, maybe there's people listening who have no idea what I'm talking about. You know, obviously violence happens on a spectrum, but, but, I'm talking about, you know, women saying, no, I don't want a vaginal exam. And then having an entire medical staff climb on top of her and physically hold her down in labor while they force their fingers inside of her. You know, I mean, that's rape, obviously. Definition of rape is, you know, the, the insertion of any instruments or body parts, um, you know, into an orifice that is basically unwanted, right? And yeah, this is all totally normalized within the medical industry and within the doula industry, which is all wrapped up together. Mm. So, you know, back to for someone who's brand new, let me think about where I want to go with this. So for someone who's new to this, I want to say that the takeover of obstetrics, which has been going on for just about over hmm, 100 years or so, has eradicated not just authentic midwifery for the most part, but it has completely changed how women orient around their bodies and around the normal biological process of childbirth, which, spoiler alert, we've literally been doing for forever, right? And so for the last hundred years, it's been incredibly different. Um, you know, the white man came over from England to America with his little white lab coat on, you know, the, the first wave of physicians. The history of obstetrics in North America is incredibly interesting and depressing. And so they come over, they do all these incredibly um, uh, successful moves to get the hot, uh, birth out of our homes where it's always been. And really not that long ago, I mean, just a couple generations into clinics and then hospitals. Um, and you know, you can watch these horrific old videos of women being drugged and babies coming out just so drugged, which is where the spanking came from because babies were being born on ether, uh, like in the fifties. Um, you know, and then you just, you move into all these different trends of drugs and twilight sleep and, um, you know, and today we have the epidural, which is widely accepted and used and it's just hardcore narcotics and anesthesia. 
I mean, it's absolutely drugging our mothers and our babies, and babies are absolutely born on drugs. Um, but it looks a little different now than it did in the 60s. So, you know, what's important, I think, to say to contextualize this whole conversation is how what we said about women birthing in captivity. When you birth in an industrial setting, you are treated like you're joining an assembly line. There are, you know, it takes proceduralism to a whole new level. You do not have human rights. You do not have patient rights. The, the myth of informed consent is such a fucking joke. And you'd only know this if you worked in it, you know? I mean, you could listen to my podcast where there's hundreds of women also sharing their narratives and you can start to get a grasp of the truth. But what's so brilliant about what they've done is they've brought birth, which was always a family event, um, you know, out of the family. They bring it into, uh, you know, concrete walls full of strangers. They torture and abuse and extract the baby from the woman. And, you know, then there's a couple days of that. And then they send them home. And the woman will never see the staff again. The woman will possibly never go back to that hospital. And so abuse in all settings really thrives in the shadows, right? Mm. That's, that's kind of how abuse is perpetuated. It's not happening on the streets nearly as much as it's happening behind closed doors, right? Mm. And so this is just uh, kind of an industrial example of that. Does that mean that every single woman having a hospital birth is going to agree with my, uh, with my like really intense assessment of it? Of course not. Um, you can certainly find women who love their hospital births. Mm. You can find women with um, emerging from their births with less intervention and abuse than others. Uh, but a, a famous feminist quote that my friend says to me frequently is, if it doesn't work for all women, it doesn't work for women. And I would apply that to industrial birth. Mm. It's I'm finding it so interesting. One of the most, well, not the most striking, but something very striking about what you're sharing right now is just how much trauma you're expressing. Yeah. Like how much just the worst kinds of of human on human abuse. And yet, when I look at your, when I listen to your podcast generally, I haven't listened to many episodes, but the ones I have listened to, and specifically more commonly when I watch the videos, these birthing videos and the stories of women that they share on your Instagram, I see something that is like, it's like the most inspiring thing. It's just on a whole. So it's, it, to me, there's a profoundly impactful juxtaposition or paradox, not paradox, but juxtaposition of this horrific trauma and then what it is that free birth society is facilitating in the world. And so I would love to hear for those listening what what is that experience like? I know it's it's unique every time, but like, what is the general? Where you've, yeah. you've illustrated what it's like in the medical system. What's it like out of the medical system? Yeah. Well, really, what we're what we're talking about is birth. Like, what what is the design of birth? And it's quite magnificent. And it it really, you know, all mammals follow pretty much the same design. So we birth like the zebras and the gorillas. It's not, um, it, it's not actually very different at all other than our neocortex. Um, 
Yeah. And so the design of birth is meant for the mother and the baby to experience euphoria and bliss in a way that, um, you know, we could break down the hormones and all of the, the physiological, you know, setup of it. But what I want to say before we dive into that is, you know, it's no, it's not surprising to me that in patriarchy where women have been property and enslaved, um, you know, and everything that we know about the history of patriarchy, that the successful eradication of one of our most significant PowerPoints, you know, in our life has been um, not allowed, right? Has been completely taken <coughs> or attempted to be. I mean, obviously it's still, it's still going on. Um, yeah. And so I guess I'll tie this into my story, which is to say that once I started to get language to all of this and, you know, really got clear that medical midwifery was not for me and, uh, you know, understanding my no helped me find my yes, which I think is important to say kind of in all areas of life, because sometimes that's how your yes comes in is to really know what doesn't feel good. And so I had no idea I was going to, you know, become who I am now with this work. But I knew I didn't want medical midwifery because of all the inherent sabotage and and sister on sister violence and betrayal and all of that. And then obviously I'm not going to work in the system. So in my late 20s, I just put it all down, but I was very popular. And so I was still getting a lot of requests. And I went to my first interview putting everything down. And it just happened to be a couple that wanted to birth a home, but they couldn't afford a medical midwife and they didn't even particularly want one. And I heard myself say uh, pretty much the unspoken, not allowed words of a doula, which was, well, if you wanted to just stay home and not hire anyone else, I would totally come and, you know, support you guys as best as I can. And they were like, yes. And I was like, yes. And so that was my first birth after you know, hundreds and hundreds of births in captivity. That was the first wild birth I had ever seen. And I'm bringing that up now because it it was like the first time I was seeing birth, even though I had spent almost 10, 10 years at that point witnessing humans come out of humans, you know, but to watch birth completely unmanaged with no assessment and, diag- you know, diagnoses to watch the woman not have to game out when to transfer or, you know, feel worried about the rules and regs that were going to influence her birth. I mean, just to give birth like the wild animal that, that she is with no containment outside of, you know, the spiritual containment that I was providing, which really is authentic midwifery to me. Um, it was contagious. It was unforgettable. And, I watched her, you know, travel through the underworld and her self-doubt and, and, you know, all of the stuff that pretty much comes up for all of us when we birth and access power, you know, access like real um, power and bring her baby, you know, here. And so from that, moving forward, just to contextualize this anecdotally, because I feel like people always remember stories better than, than, you know, statistics and all that. I've seen women healed after physiological births. I've seen, you know, women who have 
been making themselves throw up after meals for nine years, you know, or since high school, have a physiological birth, have a, you know, birth outside the system and stop self-harming. I mean, that's huge. You know, I've seen women, tons of women, including myself, stop, you know, stop shaving and stop wearing makeup and stop wearing high heels and stop doing these self-harming, um, you know, rituals that we're trained to do from little girls. And yeah, so like the potential of impact is quite large when a rite of passage is met with the reverence, you know, that that it deserves, right? So does that mean that if that you can have a free birth and everything's going to change? Of course not. But what it means is that when you experience these kind of um, portals or rites of passage, you know, that, that I think are intended for the human spiritual evolution and experience, the, the potential for great transformation is now there. Are you going to claim that potential or not? Well, I don't know. That's up to you. And, and, and you know, for some women, I see their needle move slowly. I know lots of women who free birth and are in abusive relationships, for example. And uh, it's a big deal that they did this one thing, but they still have to really clean up their life, right? Because they're still in a super toxic, scary dynamic. And so the needle might move real slowly, um, whereas other women will like shed everything and burn their shitty life to the ground and and have, you know, major transformation really quickly. So it's certainly not a guaranteed recipe or any of that. But do you know what I mean? That it's these like, it creates the potential mm. for for enormous transformation. And it's very, very, very similar. Uh, you know, to me, it really helps. I like to teach this through the lens of sex because it's, it's very similar in lots of ways. Um, but if we think about, let's say, a, a young woman and her first sexual experience could be on the spectrum of uh, gang rape, which many women I love, that's their first experience being drugged and raped. Okay. So that's, you know, as bad as it gets <clears throat> or somewhere in the arena. I mean, I guess we could come up with ways it's worse, but pretty bad, pretty horrific. And then all the way to the other end of the spectrum of a first sexual experience could be, um, you know, thankfully more what I had, which was, um, you know, fumbling through with my very best friend, um, my partner of five years in high school, and just total love and respect and, and playfulness and um, communication and just kind of a best case scenario of play and sweetness and um, safety. And the difference of how a woman, a young woman emerges out of either of these ends of the spectrum, and of course, there's anything, you know, everything in between really determines a lot for who that woman becomes, how she relates to her body, what her sexual patterns become for the rest of her life, and so on. It's the same thing with birth, right? Birth kind of makes or breaks you, just like sex does. You know, it, it really determines a lot of how you show up in the world, how you feel about yourself, and what what happens next. Do you feel like that's the same for, because I know you've spoken about the woman, I mean, that to, to for the baby as well, right? Like, so being birthed into a medical environment of trauma and pain and just like all the sure. stuff that's going on and then, or being birthed where your mom's all relaxed and she's laughing with the husband and then you're like going through, I mean, there's got to, and so how... I don't know. What do we do about that? Acknowledging that most people in the world right now have come through the portal in that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
we don't care about babies in our society. You know, like babies are seen as these like blobs that lack intelligence and sentience. And I mean, people still circumcise their sons, you know, I mean, whoa, like that is crazy. Like we are actively hurting our babies, you know, worldwide in all sorts of different ways. And so, you know, babies, babies are an extension of the mother. Right. Um, and so for as long as we're abusing mothers, we're abusing babies. It's not, it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to make a distinction there because our babies are us. Um, but yes, I mean, I think you're speaking to the kind of obvious and inherent trauma that is blanketing this planet when the vast majority of us are coming into the world through violence, Mm. you know? And to be clear again, like I'm not being dramatic. What I mean, you know, I would call incredibly violent when a, uh, you know, when a mother is drugged and numbed and disassociated from her body and, um, you know, strapped to a bed, uh, has a catheter inside her because she can't walk, you know, to release her bladder. And she's literally high on fentanyl or morphine. And a stranger who she's never met before is going to come in and cut her perineum and extract a baby with instruments. And then the baby will be cut from the mother, not getting, you know, all of the placental blood transfusion that that is intended, which is, is enormously uh, important. And the baby, you know, is received into glove latex, you know, hands <laughs> by strangers. Yeah. It's the first, you know, touch of physical environment is gloved by strangers and then cut. And the baby is taken over to a little plastic bin where strangers who are masked and, you know, all look like freaking aliens are, um, you know, deep suctioning the baby and, you know, putting tubes up the nose and down into the throat to clear the baby out as if they're not about to do that themselves and uh, wrapping the baby up and hatting the baby. And if they're lucky, now the baby comes over to the mother who is now being shot full of pharmaceuticals to force her uterus, you know, to contract while the uh, doctor is putting his hand, you know, all the way in his forearm inside of her to manually remove the placenta, you know, while the baby now has no smell being emitted because they're completely covered up and the mother is drugged receiving this bundle of cloth um, and that's just like a normal birth for most God, of us. That, you is, know? Oh, that is a horrific picture. Even, yeah, it's horrific. God. That's not even a C-section, you know? Well, I was going like, to say, so C-section, like for anyone who is listening, who might be like, oh, that sounds like an extreme case. I no, just, no, that's it's birth. like 30, 30, 30% plus of births in, Amer- in America are, are C-sections. And in South Africa, the number is closer to 70% are C-sections. So if, and I mean, anyway, it's and all over the world. I mean, Brazil is like ninety. Um, oh, uh, Dominican Republic is like ninety plus. Uh, Costa Rica is over sixty. I mean, it's it's very very high. R- Russia has a crazy high. I can't remember it, so I don't want to say the wrong thing. But yeah, what was your question about C sections? No, just saying that for anyone listening who might think that the story you've shared is sounds like an extreme case. It's like that's not that's what's happening. No, that's and a totally so it's, average. It's, it's like how important it is to note where we are right now and then also acknowledging because it's interesting because I hear you talk about that and then I see the way that you act in the world. Like how do you stay, how have you stayed so not just hopeful, but 
action oriented like you you have helped tens of thousands of women around the world to birth in a completely different way that includes things like bliss and safety and connection and joy like how do you what is it that drives you in that way yeah well what else are we going to do <laughs> 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 That's not not really my personality to just complain. Um, yeah, yeah. But before I answer that question, I just I want to offer one more thing. I think that might be helpful for wrapping people's brains around this is from a biological design perspective. You know these these babies us are not being born intact. And what I mean by that is there is a hormonal matrix, there is a biological sequence for optimal mother baby. Um, thriving. Okay. Mm. And we can talk, we can get back to that if you want, because I'm happy to explain that, but it's not very complicated. It's just that when you understand how medical birth works, it interrupts that sequence at every stage. And so we are not born intact. Our hormonal matrix is not born intact. So just to like make, so that can make sense. Um, for example, with a C-section baby, when a baby goes down through the vaginal canal, they're getting um, their cranium is getting pressure, right? It's, it's going down through the canal, and there's all these cool sequences that happen. But one of the things that happens is the um, pressure on the cranium will essentially alert to release a hormone that once the baby is born, the hormone will now start to um, have a smell that comes out the fontanelle, the soft spot of the baby's head. And so then when the mother just naturally, because she's holding her baby, smells that, it triggers her um, production of milk. And so there's all these sequences like that. That's just one of them. I mean, there's tons. It'll just blow your mind and just make you fall in love with with life, you know, because it's so perfect and it's so (laughs) profound and it's so beautiful. And as a, as a midwife, I see the difference in babies who have the full intact sequence. Right. right? And then I see the difference and the challenges. And, and I want to say here, like, you're not just like fucked if you didn't get your full sequence or if you <laughs> had a traumatic birth and yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, you know, like we do have to start somewhere and yeah. humans are amazing and we're so our capacity to spontaneously heal is, is always here, you know? And so, you know, we, we want, I think that the healthy framing of this is yes, be devastated and be, um, you know, so upset about, about what's happening and what we've missed and then move on, you know, and do better and, and, and adapt and heal and, and create better, you know? So that's all we can do. We are where we are in our story. Um, yeah. And so how I keep going is one of my favorite commitments that I work with is this commitment that says, um, are you willing to be the resolution that you want to see? And, I use that a lot when I hear myself complaining. Um, I used it a lot during the COVID, you know, nonsense because that felt very terrifying to me in a way that I had never felt before. And I spent a couple months complaining and freaking out and judging everyone and criticizing everyone and creating lots of disconnect in in some of my relationships. And then I remembered that commitment and was like, well, 
what would being the resolution look like? Like mm. what, what would that even be? You know, and that's what brought me here to 65 acres of beautiful land with independent water and, you know, in a town that never masked and like I'm living the resolution with my family that we wanted, you know, to see, we created it somewhere. And so it's the same thing with birth, you know, it's the same thing with everything that I do. Do you want to complain or do you want to do the thing? And it's not hard. You know, it would be way harder to know about the horrors and not do anything about it. Mm. That's weird. And then what we have on our side is biology. You know, this is what I say to women all the time when they're like, I'm really afraid of birth. You know, what do I do about that? Like, what's it matter? Who cares? Be afraid. A baby is coming out of your vagina one way or another. (laughs) It doesn't matter if you're afraid. It's fine. Who's not afraid? It's fine. It's literally not a big deal. Just don't self-sabotage yourself, right? You can totally be afraid. Just stay home. Your body will run a whole sequence. Your baby will emerge, you know, from your vagina. You will catch your baby and you will have, you know, evolved from the fear that's, you know, four generations deep in your system. You know, it's fine. And one of my favorite quotes is uh, from one of my girlfriends, Yolanda. She says, I feel fear, but I'm not afraid. Hmm. And I love that so much. Like, can we just feel the fear? But that feels real different than being afraid. Hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think when you know, these paradigms are so interesting because when you, when I have chosen to actually put my whole life into creating the paradigm I want to see in the world, everything got really easy. I started making more money than I've ever made. Um, the women showed up, the clarity came, like it just got really, really easy. And the big psychological shift I made very purposefully, because I wanted to see what it would be like to run a business this way was, and the kind of question I played with at the start of FBS was, what would it feel like to run a business and do my work in the world without trying to convince anyone? (laughs) Because pretty much everything I was doing in the birth world prior was trying to convince women not to go to the hospital, Mm. which didn't work. You know, they all still went. It didn't work. Yeah. And so that has, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's been pretty great. And it feels really different in my system. I have so much more creativity and um, spaciousness and boundaries are easier. Like everything's just easier now that my, like the psychology of my work for myself is um, I'm just kind of over here celebrating and doing my thing. And whoever wants to come play with me over here is totally welcome to. (laughs) And if you don't like, great. Best of luck. (laughs) There's no savior complex Mm. anymore. And, you know, I realized essentially that my hero, you know, my savior was unsustainable and it was actually fundamentally disempowering to the women, you know, that I was trying to serve. And so learning the tools of how to step out of that and create a a non-hierarchical midwifery practice and, you know, run all these different branches of this incredible platform from this like real respect and trust in women and that they don't need to be saved. Like, yes, it's horrific what's happening, but 
they also can choose something else. And so I want to be a part of, you know, the paradigm that it gets as big as possible where finding those other options are as easy as possible. And that's what's happened with the podcast that I've done for the last five years is, you know, women just hearing that this many women just say, no, thanks. I'm going to just stay home has created, you know, a, a level of impact that I didn't, I didn't know would happen. You know, it's just taken off like wildfire. And I think that's, that's a good reminder of how easy all of this is because we have biology on our side. We have nature on our side. We have life on our side, yeah. right? So being in alignment with life is such a personal spiritual choice and to enact nature's biology through, you know, a woman's body it's like a pretty simple choice to make in a lot of ways. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You've given me so many little paths I'd like to follow. I don't know if we'll which one will stick, but but the one is just to reflect and say that when I heard you speaking a moment ago, it resonated deeply around the place I've written these poems that I wrote over the last few years, like the We Are Already Free poem that I shared. Everything you've just said was exact because I, when the whole like COVID thing kicked off at first, I was like, here's these other stats. Here's these things you should know. This doesn't make sense. Look, it doesn't yeah. make sense. And it just caused so much polarity. I was trying to convince people yeah. and show people. And I realized like it within a few weeks, I was like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, and I just, terrible. I just went quiet. Like I just shut, I shut up. But then I kept feeling this thing of like, well, I'd still have truth. That is my truth. And, and how can I do it differently? And when the poems started coming through, it was exactly that. It wasn't to try and say, you're wrong. It was just to say, here is my story. And if anyone else wants to come play, like exactly what you've just said, I really resonate with that. So it's beautiful to hear that that impulse is such a universal impulse that if someone is feeling that impulse in themselves, not to prove other people wrong, but to embody fully their own truth, that that's really a valuable impulse to follow, that that's probably the one worth following. Well, and I mean, that's, that's maturity, hmm. right? Like that's a mature thing to do, to just kind of focus <laughs> on your own business and put that out, hmm. right? That's like emotionally intelligent and, and mature. Yeah. <laughs> and so of course, good things come out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then you said around like the tools and the techniques, et cetera, that you use to build this business that you've done. So just on a practical level, like what are the even just one of them, a thing that has really been critical in you being able to show up in the world the way that you do? Well, I work with, I've worked with the same mentor since I was in my mid twenties and she's one of the the main coaches of this company called the Conscious Leadership uh, Group. And so their website is conscious.is. So anyone can check them out and they have lots of cool free resources and videos and stuff. So she is in the Gay and Katie Hendricks lineage, the Byron Katie lineage, um, lots of amazing people. Um, and so essentially she has taught me a framework to step out of blame, helplessness, uh, savior complex, and how to be, you know, like we just said, kind of returning to my business um, and working with these 15 commitments. So there's this book anyone can get called the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And it's, it's kind of a funny book because it's, it's written for the corporate world. So you kind of have to look past, you know, the examples will be like, Henry's late on the supply chain at the factory, (laughs) you know, and in the boardroom, the CEO's upset. Like it's kind of silly and doesn't relate to my life at all. Um, 
so, you know, if you can kind of get past that, it's, it's an incredible book and it teaches these 15 commitments, which they didn't necessarily make up. They just compiled a bunch Mm -hmm. of amazing tools. Um, yeah. And so there are things like a commitment to taking responsibility. And so really unpacking that concept and, and understanding how to apply that to my life, certainly not just in birth work, but in my marriage, in my mothering, in my social dynamics, my relationship to money, my relationship to my body. I mean, everything is material for these tools. And I got pretty obsessed with them um, in my mid-20s and, yeah, just made a real commitment to them. It felt like I was finding the holy grail. It felt like I had tried all sorts of therapies and different modalities. And, you know, I had a daily sadhana practice and I was doing kundalini every day. And, you know, I was so enlightened and yet, you know, still had, still felt quite victimized by others or felt, you know, really controlled by my own righteousness or whatever it was. And so these tools gave me really quick applicable ways to shift out of those and into, um, yeah, radical responsibility, self-discovery. And so some of the questions I work with that I just love, love, love are um, like one is, um, how is what's happening for me? Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're interested in trying on, you know, some exploration into radical responsibility, you have to kind of go out and find it because we are completely programmed and there's nothing wrong with this, but we're completely programmed from a survival consciousness to um, experience the world as it's happening to me, right? We're at the effect of it. We live in an almost entirely reactive state Mm -hmm. and it's not all bad. It's reacting to positive stuff too, right? It's not all just doom and gloom, mental suffering or something, But it's still pretty much all, if you track it, you'll see a reactive state. And so this is a whole different arena to play in of, they refer to these three states of consciousness. When you shift out of victim consciousness to me consciousness, you shift into um, either through me, as me, or by me consciousness. And so, yeah, that's kind of just what I've been playing with now for the last seven, eight, nine, ten years of what does it feel like to own my commitment to blame? What does it feel like to own my commitment to feeling victimized by X, Y, Z? And what does it feel like to look for how I created this, look for how, what, you know, what's here for me, what's here for my learning. And, you know, it's about as powerful as it gets because Mm -hmm. when you are living in a by me, through me, as me state of consciousness, you're completely allied with your life. Like everything that happens can be played with, right? Everything that happens, every hate mail I get, every person that betrays me, every, you know, worry about money, every single thing that happens is part of this playground, right? So yeah, it's lots of fun and it just gets more fun the more you do it. And that's pretty much where I hang out. (laughs) So I wanted to see what a business would look like kind of based on, yeah, taking radical responsibility, being the resolution, which is one of the commitments. Um, And I'm not saying I don't like still villainize, like obviously Mm. I do. Um, But the maturity and like the skill for me has lied in um, owning it. You know, like I'm not confused anymore. I know when I'm blaming, I know when I'm victimizing, I know when I'm heroing. And once you 
like my, my mentor says, conscious people know when they're below the line is the term they use and get willing to shift. Mm. And that's amazing. Like that's all, that's all, that's the trick. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's the Jedi shit right there. <laughs> A young Padawan. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, that's beautiful. So I, I really only have one more question for you that is, and I'm curious to know, so as a man, as a penis haver, sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> um, how, how do you see men responding to this movement, to the free birth society? Like, how is it? Because uh, I, ha- I mean, I actually, fortunately now we've just moved to a new area here and I think all of our friends are free birthing or at least home birthing with extreme like even one of my friends has just done the um radical birth keepers and so like it's it's a a baron daniel oh yeah cool yeah do you live in her area yeah yeah so i've known baron and peter they they have been hugely influential in my life and we've been friends now for quite many years and my fiance and i moved to this area specifically because there's a good crew of folk here it's one of the main reasons Mm -hmm. because we just were a bit isolated where we were before totally and um and so it feels amazing because we haven't yet had a child and we're super keen and it's like on the cards definitely in the next like I don't know, 18 months or so, I guess. I don't exactly know. But, um, and so to be out here and have that support. And I guess for myself, like, one of the beautiful parts of seeing the videos, and obviously I focus on this because I'm a dude, but like watching how the men who are with their women when they're birthing, there is mm-hmm. a, there's a fucking vibe, like it's a vibe. And so just from your side, like how, how is that for, for men? I don't know if you can speak to that at yeah. all. So. Well, I mean, the short answer is it depends on your level of internalized misogyny. Okay. Interesting. You know, so like the misogynists don't like this, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wait, tell, explain that. I don't, I don't get that. Tell me. Well, you know, misogyny, you know what misogyny is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So essentially anti-woman's liberation, right? So men who are narcissists, you know, entitled, um, run the household, very patriarchal, you know, everything centers around them. Um, they like to control their women, um, you know, they run the show, mm. um, blah, 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 you know, like obviously you know what I'm talking about <laughs> a lot of men out there. Um, they are not Never heard of too that, keen. Sorry. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're not too keen on women or their woman, um, you know, going rogue essentially <laughs> and cultivating, you know, ecstatic, la- you know, layers of confidence and, and embodiment. Um, so it really does it really, I mean it sincerely, like it really depends on the level of misogyny that the man carries, how he orients around this, you know? Mm. So, um, the spectrum is quite wide. I mean, lots of men have fear around this and concern. Um, and I do feel compassion for like the average bear because they were not raised trusting birth, trusting women. Um, you know, we're in a very, very, very anti-woman culture, you know, in, in these respects. And so, yeah, lots of fathers to be feel very nervous about birthing without medical providers. It kind of seems like men go in two different directions. Once they've seen their women be traumatized in the system, the majority of them don't understand why the woman wouldn't go back, which is very odd to me. Um, but there is such a deep level of, Okay, this is kind of a tangent, but it's like 
through the lens of misogyny, I would explain it this way, that men un- unconsciously, very frequently, do not understand how a woman could birth without management. And so someone needs to be in charge of her. And when you take a doctor away, then it means it's got to be him. And so all these men, frequently I talk to them all the time, are like, well, I'm not a midwife. And they're completely missing the third option, which is crazy, but she could actually be in charge of herself, right? She's actually an adult. Like it's, it's so, it's so offensive, but you know, we have to kind of presence that we have many, 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 many generations of, um, this, this idea forming that a woman in labor is hysterical, you know, that birth is just death waiting around the corner, that it's so dangerous that blah, 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 you know, and and the like fabric of our society says that women can't be trusted and women, you know, can't make their own decisions. I mean, it's very alive today. Mm. So that's why it's kind of some context under why I said it really does depend on your level of, of misogyny. Um, it's okay to feel nervousness, of course, but birth is a woman's game. You know, men are not birthing. Men, if invited, have the enormous privilege to witness something, um, you know, quite unique and quite special. Um, And it is incredible to see. I would say most fathers I have been with in birth are quite awkward and don't know what they're doing. And so it is nice to have another woman there kind of helping massage the energetics of the house. Um, But also, of course, I've seen like my partner was amazing and was the quiet tree, didn't say a word, but held a lot of energetic space for me, never wavered, you know, never furrowed a brow at me, was just the tree. And that's an an analogy I use a lot with fathers because I coach a lot of fathers you know, how to support their women. And that's the vision I, I, you know, I'll offer it to you if, in case we never talk again, that <laughs> that's kind of your role, you know, with, mm. with your partner is, um, you know, she's like the fairy who's going to fly in and out of the tree and she's going to, um, fly out to the cosmos or go down to the underworld. And it's, it's a lot, she's got a lot of work to do and it's going to be crazy. And, you know, it might be very physical. She might be pooping and puking and crying and begging for help, or she might be like gone and she might be, um, you know, having like a full on psychedelic experience or a little bit of both. And your role, you know, as the, the father, the partner, um, I think of it for myself as a birth attendant is like to be this oak tree that is very in the room. I'm not birthing, you're not birthing. And so it's not our job to fly all around and be ungrounded and be untethered. And we're not going to the cosmos to bring this little soul here. We're not like in dialogue with the spirit world. We're here in the room. And so how do we hold that space and, you know, feel our, um, you know, like the tether from our spinal cord going all the way down into the earth and feeling really held by the physicality of your home and the earth. And I think of this tether, you know, from the from the partner's heart, you know, out to the woman so that she can kind of fly away, but she still has a tether here so that it's fine. Wherever she needs to go, even if she needs to like lose her mind for a while, it's fine because we have her and we're going to stay in the room. Um. Yeah, because 
especially now that I've had a child, that shit gets crazy. It is very <laughs> psychedelic and whew, it is really wild in that altered state of consciousness. And and my my husband, Johnny, really just knew how to root down and hold and not disrupt, not ask, not disturb ever. Mm. He just held it. And um, it, he didn't make it about him. And that's, I see men who are used to having things made about them. Uh, maybe they're very emotional. Maybe they're very um, self-involved. Maybe they're very nervous. Maybe they're very insecure. And they don't know how to step out of that and just let this be about her. You know, and of course, like you're having an experience, you're becoming a father, you're getting to witness the miracle of life. Like you're, you're a part of it, of course, but she's literally doing all of the work, you know, the spiritual work, the physical work, the social work, like all of it, you know? And so anything we can do to step back and see what happens when a woman becoming mother is truly centered it's just magnificent and it sets her up for a blissful postpartum, you know, blissful mothering relationship. Anyway, so yeah, I think I think I think with with good intention men can show up and be really awesome, but it requires some serious maturity to contend with the parts of it that scares you and the parts you want to control and the parts that aren't about you. That's kind of where I see mm. men struggle. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That A lot of that resonates with me around my own work in showing up in the world and how I show up and my own shadow. And uh, I can hear a lot of reflections in there that are of value to me. And I hope for any other men who have listened to this. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Emily. It's, You're um, so welcome. It's a real pleasure. And if there is any last thing that you'd like to share, just something that maybe for those who are at the beginning of this kind of journey of realizing that things aren't what we've been told and that they actually have to be responsible for it all and like how intense <laughs> you don't that have can to be. be. Well, you yeah, <laughs> it's true. The invitation, yeah. once you have the invitation, it's like, it's anyway. So mm -hmm. yeah, just any last I guess thoughts. I would yeah, I mean, I would just plug how to find me so that if you're into this, you can um, just dive in. You know, there's so many different ways to interact with my work in the world and the women that I work with. Um, we've referenced the podcast throughout. And so that's a free resource, obviously, that you can find. Um, it's just called the Free Birth Society podcast. And that has five seasons. We're heading into our sixth season, um, primarily of women sharing births outside the system. And they're very redemptive. Um, yeah. And how, how many flavors it can look to learn to take responsibility and, and say yes to what you really want and, and your life and, and creating the family dynamic that you want. So we have, the podcast is amazing. Um, and then we have a private membership where I hang out that's, you know, for women only, and you don't have to be a mother to join. And, um, uh, we have the complete guide to free birth, which is an incredible course that breaks all of this down from a childbirth education you know, lens. And then uh, you reference the Radical Birth Keeper School, which is an authentic midwifery program that I teach with one of my business partners. Her name's Yolanda Norris Clark. And um, it's just incredible. And it, it's really breaking down a lot of the stuff in way more detail and learning how to cultivate the, the self-authority to do this work in the world if you're called towards authentic midwifery. And yeah. 
Lots of stuff. You can just go to freebirthsociety.com. Freebirthsociety.com. Thank you so much. But yeah, I will definitely share all the links that you've shared in the show notes and make sure that everyone gets total access to all of that. And yeah, your Instagram is also a great starting place for anyone who's kind of wanting to dip their toes into that world. And um, I don't know if you have time, but I wanted to offer you something just as a thank you from me to you. Uh, I would like to play you a song. And and it's totally fine if you don't have time or if you, you, don't, you aren't into it, but let me know. Go for it. I'm okay. I'm free till noon. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> Fantastic. So this is a song that is called Radical. Um, and it's it's actually a song that connected me with the lovely um, Freya, who I think you guys are connected with. Freya, Freya Kellett. I don't know how to say her surname. But anyway, she... Uh, this is a song that I've been thinking about for a long time and it was again in response to everything that's unfolding right now or has been unfolding for generations actually and that this last COVID thing for me was like a real kick, kick in the ass to, to actually see like I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not in for that, I'm in for this. And, uh, yeah. and so this is the song that kind of talks to that and that's why it's called Radical. And, and also it was, it was Amber of Mythic Medicine who told me that the word radical is that which rises from the root or that which comes from the root. And I just think it's such a powerful reclamation of language to reclaim a word like that. So, so yes, thank you. This is for you, just honoring you and your work in the world. And thank you so much. It doesn't matter what you say or do I already feel the truth Blossoming real deep inside of me The radical is bearing fruit So I'll say this with all love to you Fuck you if you think I'll uproot myself Just to play a part in your living hell Fuck you if you think I sink in the light I rise for light and life As the fruit contains a living seed Our mother will restore Act on this and we're already free Warrior, raise your roar Raise your roar once more Fuck you if you think I'll uproot myself Just to play a part in your living hell Fuck you if you think I'll sink in the light I rise for light and light Mistake me for a blind old fighter I'm the heart of love, I'm shining brighter If you misplaced or misaligned your power Join us, sing it louder Fuck you if you think I'll uproot myself Just to play a part in your living Ha, 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 ha.
Is that one titled Fuck You? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it should be. It's called Radical, but maybe Fuck You is a more appropriate title. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's catchy. That's awesome. Thank you Thank again, you. Emily. Thank you and blessings on the path. I look forward to connecting again and I hope to have you back on here someday when we can talk about, wow, remember back in the old days when people used to birth in hospitals? <laughs> oh my God, seriously. Let me know when your girl gets pregnant and we'll talk. Oh my, I definitely will. That'll be an exciting day. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. <laughs> All blessings. Right. All the best. Take care. Ciao. Bye. All right, beautiful people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a blessing to share this with you, Emily fantastic free birth society be sure to check them out uh, at all the places she mentioned you can find them on instagram freebirthsociety.com etc they've got loads of free epic stuff as well as paid phenomenal memberships for women and courses on birthing and all kinds of amazing wonderful stuff so thank you for this for joining us for this episode of we are already free this beautiful simple remembrance that we can reclaim our sovereignty we can reclaim that inalienable inescapable truth that we are already free that we are the divine experiencing itself and we come in through the portal of birth and it is critical how that happens and it is critical that we reclaim that and we take responsibility for that at least that is the invitation it is the choice so thank you again to all of you uh, please do be sure to check this podcast out further, nathan.africa forward slash podcast. There are going to be amazing, amazing guests coming up and I'm just so excited to be sharing this with you. I wish you well. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, we are already free. Blessings. Hey there, this is Nathan again. Just one quick more thing. I That previous outro I recorded just after the the session with Emily and I really just wanted to reiterate and request that this is the time if you're still listening to this please 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 go to Apple Podcasts go to all the places where podcasts are you can actually go to nathan.africa forward slash podcast and I will make sure there's a button there so you can easily go and subscribe and leave a review and share and all those things it may seem like a small action to you it'll take 30 seconds a minute and what it will mean is that this podcast can show up for many, many more people. Someone sees a review, they go, oh, that might be something I should listen to. Or if enough people review and subscribe in the first few weeks and months of this podcast, then it means it'll show up in the new and noteworthy um, parts of the Apple podcast, which then could be seen by tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who could then get these beautiful messages directly into their inboxes. I mean, what a phenomenal thing. This is so awesome. So please take that action. It makes a difference. It matters. And that really is it for today. So thank you again. It's been a real pleasure and I hope to hear from you sometime soon. It's one of the strange things about podcasting is I don't know who's out there. So find me on nathan.africa forward slash podcast. I'll have links to my socials. You can send me an email. You could leave me a voice note. I would love to hear from you and I would love to collaborate and co-create this podcast together. So thanks again. Blessings on your path. Ciao for now. Mm -hmm.